come out, won't it? Amen. How about turning with me to James chapter 3? James chapter 3. We're moving right on through James. Uh, you may not think it's fast enough, but we're trying to cover it as uh, James covers the different topics. Uh, you know, you may turn it in your journal. I'm going to read from the journal and then go back and do my excerpts from the King James. But we're preaching on real faith. Uh, real faith is faith that is lived out in your life. It's one say, thing to stand up and say, I've got faith, but it's something else to live that faith so that others can see it. So we've worked our way through, it's the end of the day, three chapters of the five out of the book of James. It's been tough, but it's been challenging. Today, I mean, the first week we looked at real faith and sufferings, how that in the hard times we need to live out our faith so people can see. Uh, the second week we looked at real faith through temptation when sin is placed in front of us we overcome through the real faith that we have in Christ week three we looked at real faith and the word talking about not just being hearers of the word but being doers also living out our faith uh, week four we looked at real faith and love Rich preached that day a wonderful message about how we show love through the faith that we have week five we looked at week, uh, real faith by works there we say, you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith with works. There'll be a great bit of difference that people will notice. Then last week, we looked at real faith in the tongue that we are known by the words that we speak. Today, we go to the topic of wisdom. Now, in order to start this, I want to give you two words, two definitions. Number one is knowledge. Knowledge is knowing something for a fact. People in school, they study their textbooks so they can know something for a fact. But wisdom is the ability to live out the knowledge. So it's, it's actually knowledge lived out in your life. It's kind of like if I, if, I, if I go down to the shop class somewhere and I watch carpenters build things. And I watch them for weeks or months at a time. And I come back and I say, well, guess what? I've been watching the carpenters. I'm a carpenter now. Boy, I wish I had a hammer. <laughs> wish I had a saw. Wish I knew how to use them, you know. And it's, it's kind of like salvation. You can sit on the pew of a church. You can listen to words about salvation all your life. You can join every church from here to the state line or the Mississippi or wherever. You can be baptized so many times that uh, you'll just have pruned uh, skin or whatever, but that doesn't make you saved. It's one thing to know salvation, but it's wisdom when you act out that salvation and receive Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. So that's, it's like in the Bible. There were two builders. You remember Jesus telling the story about the foolish man and the wise man? They built a house. Each one of them built a house probably almost identical to each other. But they built them in different places. Now, one man built his house upon the sand. The other man built his house upon the rock. Both of them knew what would happen, I believe. I believe somebody, I believe that guy knew what sand did. I believe the guy knew what a rock would do. But what happened is when the storms of life came, guess which one stood? The house on the rock. The one who not only had the knowledge of how to build a house, but knew how to act it out in building the house upon the rock. That's our lives right there. We may know we need to be a Christian. We may know that we need to profess our faith, but we need to show others by building that house upon the rock. So real faith is the ability to live that faith out. So today we're going to look at how James talks about godly wisdom and what it looks like 
And he's also going to talk about another kind of wisdom and what it looks like. Again, James doesn't hold back. He lets the chips fly when he begins to go. So we're going to show us how it is shown by walk, how we live. Now I'm going to take our journal that you got the very first week. Uh, I've got some good comments about how you appreciate the place to put the notes in these journals. Now you've been and I'm going to read from this ESV, then I'm going to go back to the King James. But let's pray first, okay? Our Heavenly Father, I ask you, dear Lord, to open our eyes that we can see what we need to see today from your Word. Open our ears to be able to hear, God, what we need to hear. But Lord, most of all, open a heart to receive that we might live it out in faith. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work with the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom... From above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, of good works, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. Okay, first of all, I want you to look at the opening question, verse 13. He says, Who is a wise man and endured with knowledge among you. Who's wise among you? Good question to ask. We would ask that throughout this congregation today. Who's wise in here and has that instilled knowledge within them? Now, James goes on, he says, how to answer that. But let him show out of a good conversation of his works with meekness and wisdom. Okay, who's wise here today? If you think you're wise, show it. Live it out. Don't just speak it. Don't just stand and say, look at me, I'm a wise person, but you live it out in your conversation, in your daily walk. Now, in verse 15, we're going to look at two origins of wisdom. Two origins of wisdom. He says, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, devilish. Now, I want to cover first wisdom from above. You say, well, this didn't say that. No, it says there's another kind of wisdom that doesn't descend from above. So that says there is one that is from above. There is a wisdom that comes from above. Matter of fact, if you don't believe that, you can look back at James uh, when we started in the first chapter of James. And uh, I think it's verse number 5. Uh, let's see, where is that about wisdom? Oh, verse 5, If you lack wisdom, let him ask him God, that giveth to all men liberal, and upbraideth, and shall, it shall be given to him. Otherwise, if you want wisdom from above, first of all, you need to ask for it. Okay, very pure and simple. Wisdom from above. How do we get that? I'm going back to the Old Testament as my kicker verse here. It's on the screen. Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear means reverence. It means honor. So when you honor the Lord, when you reverence the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. You say, well, how do we reverence the God? How do we honor God? Well, he tells us very clearly in the Word of God that we do that by knowing His commandments, obeying His commandments, 
and exalting Him in our life as a true believer. Now, are you getting that? We know His principles, His commandments. We live His commandments. And then we also exalt Him as a true believer. That will give us a sign that we have wisdom from above because it's all about Him, all about God. Now, there's a second kind of wisdom. It's wisdom that is not from above. Where's it from? He tells us in our 15th birth, uh, verse, he says, it's not from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. Now, let me tell you what those three things are. They're the three enemies of us as believers. Number one, that which is earth, the world. The world system is evil. You know why? You know the prince of the air of the world is. And he has corrupted this world. So the world itself is evil. It's an enemy against the believer. He says, next of all, that which is sensual, that which is from the flesh, that which we want out of our fleshly desires. And then thirdly, he says it's devilish, it's demonic, it's from Satan. If you look at my kicker verse here on Ephesians 2 and 2, it gives you those three. It says, we're in in times past. We walked according to the course of this world. The world, evil. According to the prince of the power of the hour, devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, the, the, your flesh. That's the three enemies of the world, the, of the believer. The world, the course of the world, that things which are anti-godly. The devil, the prince of the power of the hour that is always out like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And thirdly, the flesh that we always will battle. We will never completely conquer the flesh. There will always be that battle there between the flesh and the spirit until one day when we lay this flesh down and pick up that which is totally spirit, the new body in Christ Jesus, then we will be free from the presence of the world. We will be free from the tricks and schemes of Satan and we'll be free from the fleshly desires that we have in ourselves, we will be whole in the creation, in the likeness of the very Son of God. Amen. That's the two types of wisdom that comes. That which is above and that which is from below or from Satan. Now, there's two, the two different origins of wisdom. Now, there's also two contrasts of wisdom, beginning in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strives in your own heart, Glory not and lie not against the truth. Bitter, I looked at these and I said, man, that sounds rough. Those descriptions sounds, they just don't sound right. Christians shouldn't have these things in our life. I mean, then I get to thinking about how applicable they are and I thought, we've all got them. He said, first of all, he calls it bitter envying. Selfish ambition that promotes itself above God. How many times, now this is an examination, how many times have you in your life promoted yourself above the glory of God? It happens, doesn't it? The ESV calls it jealousy, okay? Uh, it's kind of like the example of the righteous Pharisees. Why did they take their places in front of the congregation in the temple? Why did they wear the fancy apparel? Why did they whitewash their faces so that they would look like they were so holy that they fasted so much that it even affected their health? Why did they paste the scriptures on their, on their sleeves so that they could quote scriptures when somebody needed a verse to go by? Why did they do that? They wanted to appear 
holy without being holy. That's that bitter envying there, that jealousy there, to look better than your neighbor. It's kind of like this. Donna and I have a big argument. Donna tells me just plain and simple what I did wrong. So what I will do, I will go back in history and pick out something she did wrong. And I'll make my shot back at her. Why? I want to look better about the wrong I did by making the wrong that she did look worse than my wrong. That's what Christians do, amen? They'll come in here and point their finger at somebody else and it's, it's kind of like having that little speck in your eye uh, in the neighbor's eye and you want, hey, look, look at that, look at that, look at that, look, look what your problem is, man. You've been hanging around the wrong people and in your own eyes, you've been, I ain't been praying. I ain't been reading the Bible. I hadn't put my mind on God. I'm going to make them look worse than I am by pointing their flaws out and it'll take people's eyes off of my flaws and my mistakes. That's that bitter envy. He also says bitter strife. He says, strive in your heart. Man, I need self-approval no matter what it is. Uh, you know, I want to win at all costs. If it stirs up my neighbor, if it makes a conflict between me and my brother, I don't care because I want to come out on top. I don't want to come out on the bottom. I'm going to fight to the very end. I want everybody to see how good, how holy, how great, how wonderful I am. And by doing that, I want you to see how bad you are. And then it says they glory not. In other words, they do not give God the glory. It's kind of like this. Don't you just love the political ads on TV today? Mike Bloomberg, I, you know, those, I'm tired of them, but at the beginning they caught my attention. It says Mike will get it done. He talks about everything he did in the city of New York. He did this, he did that, and I'm sitting there saying, well... If he did all that, wonder why he didn't fire all the city councilmen? Wonder why they didn't get rid of all the police officers? They didn't need no government. He did it all. And when he goes to the presidency, he can get rid of Congress. He can get rid of the Senate. He can get rid of the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court judge. He didn't say, we're going to get it done. He says, I will get it done. Oh, I think about that in preachers. You know, preachers have the worst pride. People pat them on the back and say, good sermon, preacher, when you know you stunk. Okay, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes sometimes, right? And as they begin to pat you on the back and tell you how great that sermon was, preacher, preacher I admire you, the head begins to puff up and you begin to have a little bit of pride. And, and, and I had a preacher years ago when I first started in the business world. I, I thought, boy, it'd be good if I go down to the local coffee, coffee shop. I'll get to know people. I'll get the local news. Well, actually, I got the local gossip. But you'd go down there and you'd get the local news. And there was one table set there where there was another Baptist preacher. And I I thought, well, it'd be a good thing to sit at the table with a Baptist preacher. I sat there for a few weeks and I said, i got to move. I can't handle this. He talked about every church he'd pastored and what he'd done in every church. And he never once said anything about what God did. He never once said anything about what his uh, uh, church family did. It was all me, me, me. And that goes on in churches all the time. It's me, me, me. Nobody's important as me. I, God couldn't do without me. It's kind of like some people think they're the fourth member of the Trinity that God can't get along without them, you know. And that's kind of what goes on here with that bitter envy and strife that comes. Now, that's false wisdom. But go down to verse 13 again and verse 17, and let's look at true wisdom. 
Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show a good conscience his works with meekness and wisdom. But the wisdom that is above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be retrieved, entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. That shows how true wisdom works. First of all, it's lived out in meekness. Power under control. Yourself under control. That's what meekness is. Meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control. And, and when it gets out of hand, it promotes yourself more than it promotes God. And you allow those things to get out of hand. Where meekness, you control it by the Spirit of God in your life. I had a church member one time, an absolutely wonderful guy, one of the best teachers in Sunday school you'd ever met, so gifted and so talented of God. Man, God used him tremendously, but he had one problem, anger. You ever seen anybody with that problem, anger? And and once in a while it would go pow, it would blow, explode, you know. We'd be on a work day and he'd be over with some men, pow, it would explode. And men would walk off and leave him frustrated because his anger just exploded. Finally, after a while, he realized something. I've got to get it under control. And what he would do, he would fellowship with the guys on a work day. Then he would go over here and find his own corner to work by himself. You know why? He was controlling his anger. You say, well, that, that, that really didn't do much in the line of faith, did it? Yeah. He knew what his problem was, and he knew that it had to be under control. We can do a lot more for God when we realize what our problem in our life is and how that we can get away from everything and let God control that issue. So he, he understood meekness. Next, he uses the word purity. That's having the right motive, doing things for God and not yourself. Then he mentions peace, uh, you know, uh, without conflict. I think some people really strive on conflict. I don't like conflict. I run from it when I get a chance. I just don't like it. And then there's, he talks about gentleness, that, that sweet reasonableness. Have you ever been with somebody that, man, you're around, they're just so sweet and reasonable that you just love to be around them? And then he talks about compliance. He says, not e easily to be entreated, easy to work with, not difficult. Have you ever seen, you know people like this. There are some people that when they walk in a room, they brighten a room when they walk in. And then there's other people that brighten the room when they walk out, right? I mean, it's that way. Easy to be entreated. Easy to, to just uh, show that. Uh, easy to work with, not being difficult. Then he talks about mercy, that fifth one. Uh, extending forgiveness. Uh, you know, I've heard people all the time say, well, you don't know how they hurt me. Well, you don't know how we hurt Jesus. You know, easily forgiven. Then uh, uh, good fruits, uh, the results in your life. Then he goes into impartiality, without partiality, nothing wavering. We're not tossed about with the wind and doctrine that goes along. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Jerry there, he's my friend when I'm with Jerry. Boy, I'll talk so highly of him, I'll tell him how much I love him, but then I'll go over to Roy and I said, you know, Jerry stinks, man. His life is so bad. Partiality, right? 
And it says without partiality, being impartial. Then sincerity, without hypocrisy, not pretending uh, that we're something when we're not. Being transparent. Those eight positive pictures of godly wisdom. Being meek, being pure, being peaceful, being gentle, being compliant, being merciful, being good fruits, being impartial, having sincerity. Take a look at yourself and see what's playing in your life, what's motivating your life, or these eight pictures, descriptions of your life. That's the two uh, types of wisdom there, false wisdom and true wisdom. Let's go now to the two contrasts of outcomes, verses 16 and 18. First of all, in verse 16, there's worldly wisdom that produces trouble. He said, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Know that confusion and every evil work. Now, to show you a kicker to that, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 13, when we stand before God, notice this right here. Now, if a man built upon his foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest or revealed for the day shall declare it judgment day, because it has been revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work what sort it is. Saying, okay, if you build your life upon wood, hay, and struggle, stubble, on judgment day, standing before the Lord, that work will literally burn up. But if you build your life on precious stones and and, and the rock-solid faith that we need, that's going to stand. That's a proof right there of what real, true faith is and wisdom and what the outcome can be. I mean, it tear, even says this worldly wisdom actually tears things down. You ever seen anybody who won't give in? I've been there. I've repented for it many times, saying, God, I caused evil and confusion because I wouldn't give in. It wasn't a right or wrong issue. It wasn't a black and white issue. It was a preference issue. And I had to repent of it. Now, there's also, number two, the outcome of godly wisdom that produces blessing. Just like the worldly wisdom tears down, godly wisdom builds up. And the fruit of righteousness is shown in peace of them that make peace. A Christian life is this. It is a matter of sowing and reaping. Are you with me? Sowing and reaping. Now, I'm not much of a farmer. But I do know one thing. I know that when you plant seeds, when you sow, you'll get what you sow. You will usually get more than you sow. And you will get it later than you sow. If I take some green bean seeds and I sow them in the ground, I don't think corn's coming up. You're going to get what you sow, okay? And then I don't expect it to come up five minutes after I plant it. I know that. It's going to come up later at the harvest. And when it comes up, I don't think it's just going to be one sprout from one seed. It's going to multiply. So you see the principle of sowing and reaping is this. You're going to sow, you're going to reap what you sow, number one. If you sow evil, you're going to reap evil. If you sow goodness, you're going to reap goodness. 
You're also going to sow, you're also going to reap after you sow. It's not going to come up immediately. Those seeds are going to follow you. They're going to spring up when you least expect them. You go out here and sow discord. You say something you shouldn't say against a brother or sister. Look out, about a month from now, a year from now, what will happen? It'll come up again. And it's going to be more than you sow. You made one statement, and guess what? It got blown out of proportion. Suddenly you said one thing, and now you've said enough to write a book about somebody. You will reap what you sow, you will reap later than you sow it, and you will reap more than you sow. That's the principle of sowing and reaping. So if we sow the things that are of worldly wisdom, the envy, the strive, the things about ourselves, then basically that's what we're going to reap. But if we sow godly wisdom, the things that glorify God, God's going to get the glory and blessings are going to come and the outcome's going to be good. So real faith is revealed in wisdom and wisdom is revealed in your action. Now here's a summary for you, okay? I know you got your notes on the back of your bulletin. I had one member, his name was Gerald, in case you want to know. Uh, it said there, how would you know if it's godly wisdom? He said Ruthie would tell him. So, you know, that may not be the right answer, okay? You better spend a little time studying those. I think Gerald got it wrong. But here's what I want you to think about. What are your values? What are your values? Are we choosing life that we live for God above other things of the world? What godly values do you have? And then give over to those godly values by living out your faith. You might say, I'm not very smart. You don't have to be smart to be wise. My dad, I've told y'all before, first grade education, did not in school learn to read and write. When I was seven years old, God called him to preach. That was a challenge for a man who didn't know how to read or write. He had to go before God, place himself in God's hand, and allow God to help him to read enough to be able to read and understand the Bible. Now, even though my dad had a first-grade education, and I didn't always agree with everything I, my dad told me, I will tell you this, he had wisdom. It wasn't from a book. It was from above. God gave him that wisdom. Your wisdom will not come from your book knowledge. Your wisdom will not even come from what your mate tells you or what your parents tells you. It will enforce your wisdom, but it will not be your wisdom. Your godly wisdom that helps you to apply your faith out for, for, for God will come from above. And you have to ask for it. You have to seek it. And you have to fear God as the beginning of wisdom. Are you there? I don't know if any of us are there. Get us a song as you examine your life. If anybody needs prayer in any reason, we'll open the altar. Just whatever might be needed before we close today, okay? Everybody stand with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Lord, for the Word of God and the wisdom that comes from your Word. May we apply it to our life. And God, may you allow the fruit of the Word to go into our heart and it might spring forth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.